Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their you're lives. Fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Marcus, 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 we're back again. Believe it or not, one more round. How does this keep happening, does? I keep. I, I, I ask that same question every day. You'd almost think we were doing this on purpose. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for doing this and letting us uh, have this job, man. It is truly amazing. And today is no different with our guests. Got one of our own veterans in here. Yeah, Flo Groberg, man. Army this is captain. Be super interesting. Army capi- capitán. Frenchman. Capitán del ejército. Right. No, he is not a Frenchman. He is an American, but he spent time living in France. He's got a very interesting story. That's why story. we call him the Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you wear a medal of honor around him. That's tough enough to wear that thing, man. Good job, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an incredible story. But speaking of France, um, the other day, when I walked downstairs, and the news is always running in the house, right? I had a, a 9-11 type moment where... Everybody that was of age remembers what they were doing when they first either heard about 9-11, saw the towers burning, uh, saw it on the news, something like that. And I had a similar moment. Now, I'm not making a direct comparison to the fallout. What you're saying? Yeah, I get you. What I'm saying is that what I experienced Stop you dead in your tracks. You're focused on what's going on on television. I was stunned. Absolutely stunned. Yeah. Burning down. Roof on fire. I assume you've been there. I have. Uh, it's something. I mean, yeah. it's kind of the the center point of France. It's It's been around for almost 800 plus years, I think. Yeah, I don't know how long it took to build. But um, but those cathedrals took hundreds of years to build. So I don't know. Did they start? It's definitely a work in progress. Remember, because that, that's the whole ago? reason they wrote that uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame was kind of a throw out to, hey, we need to fix this place up. Has all that art in there. I mean, France is covered in beautiful everything. So... The roof burning down like that. Yeah, that was a free stop you in your tracks moment. It was, uh, uh, we pray, we're praying for y'all out in uh, France and hope that y'all will get that thing back up. Yeah, that was, uh, 
I don't know. Seeing that happen was almost apocalyptic. Oh, yeah. Well, the only thing left in there was the cross. <laughs> the fire didn't even touch it. The good Lord works in weird ways. But anyways, just seeing, you know, just seeing that happen was, I, I've been there myself, and the place was, it doesn't matter what religion you are or if you're not religious. The place was majestic. It was, it was, it was beautiful. It was kind it was of a majestic. testament to, the, to, to all the periods of France, if you will. We, we, we're, man, we're truly... Yeah. Ram for you guys over the, over there and hope that that, uh, that works out. So, you know what? Uh, getting back to Flo, he was a, you know, he's got his own book out there. You yourself are a an author. I am. Of note. An author. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer with me, man, because I just write down what I live. Like I go out and do it and then, I, and then come back and write it down. Every, it's a, every writer is unique, man, but those uh, those adventure stories... And he has a great one, man. His life from from start to to this point right now is just looks like it's been a hell of an adventure, man. I can't wait to get him on on here and hear about this. Yeah. Before we get to that, housekeeping. Okay. All right, guys, check it out. Pass this along to anybody on how to how to listen to us. You can stream directly from our website tnqpodcast.com or virtually any other podcast app, whether iPhone or Android. iTunes, Stitcher, Podacy, Castbox. And Radio Public is where you can find us. Okay, and on social media, if you're a person afflicted with such things, you can follow Team Never Quit on all the major social media outlets. On Instagram, we are TNQ Podcast for the show. Marcus is at Marcus Latrell, and I am the underscore wizard underscore TNQ. Or you can find us at tnqpodcast.com. You can listen directly to all our current and past episodes. And every, any and everybody from David Goggins, Mike Rowe, Captain Charlie Plum, Mr. Laird Hamilton, and Andre Agassi, to name a few. We also have merchandise from hats to shirts and everything in between. The best part about it is you can type into our listener write-in stories, click underneath that tab, one of our favorite elements to, uh, to have on there, just because, man, it just lets everybody check in to uh, what we've had in the past and what we've got coming up. All right, so let's do a quick background on Flo Groberg here. Former U.S. Army captain who served during the war in Afghanistan, where in 2012 he was severely injured attempting to thwart a suicide bomber. Uh, in 2015, he was a recipient of the Medal of Honor for his heroic actions. He, his early life here is of particular note. It's very interesting. He was actually born, uh, born in Poissy, France, which is near Paris. His mother, Claire, who is French, is of Algerian descent. She, uh, he was raised by his mother and his adopted stepfather, an American, Larry Groberg. The family lived in the Paris region until he was six and then moved to Spain, went back to France. He actually did not speak English until he was 11. He immigrated to the United States shortly after that, <clears throat> graduated from American high school, attended a, uh, the University of Maryland, where he earned a, his Bachelor of Science prior to the military. When he decided to join the military in 2008, he attended officer candidate school at Fort Benning, the Benning School for Boys, near and dear to my heart, Marcus. How about you? Yep. Yeah. Nothing but wonderful memories. Good times there. Thank you. <laughs> Man, it gets hot there. <laughs> my uncle was a Hilo pilot, and um, I remember calling him when I was during my foray to Fort Benning. Right, right. And he called it that, Benning School for Boys, and I could not stop. That's stuck with me ever since. That's right. Whenever I hear that name. <laughs> Benning School for Boys. Yeah, man, that's our first kind of uh, introduction to the Army. I mean, you know, they throw us right in there. Um, it is. Boot to boot. That was good times, man. <laughs> Miserable while you're there, but now, you know. <laughs> oh, man. So not only is 
not only is Flo a Medal of Honor recipient, but uh, he has also been a Fort Benning. He received his commission as an infantry officer, and he went to complete uh, infantry officer, infantry officer basic course, mechanized leaders course, Army Airborne, and also Ranger School. After that, he was assigned to the 4th Infantry Division at Fort Carson out in Colorado. Deployed 2009 to Afghanistan on his first deployment um, to Kunar Province. When he returned, he took a new position assigned as Brigade Personal Security Detachment Commander and deployed again to Kunar Province. In 2012, he was soon promoted to the rank of Captain. Now, getting on to the Medal of Honor um, here, he is the 19th recipient of the Medal of Honor after the Vietnam War. He's the first born-born recipient since the Vietnam War and the 10th living recipient. President Obama presented the medal to, to him in November of 2015. I'll, uh, let me get into the actions on this thing. Yeah. There we go. The actions are as cited. On August 8th, 2012, as a personal security detachment commander responsible for the safety of 28 coalition and Afghan National Army personnel, including several participants and principals, two brigade commanders, three battalion commanders, the brigade command sergeant major, and a battalion command sergeant major, and an ANA battalion commander. Basically, the head shit. A whole bunch of important people. <laughs> God damn it. Wow. Man, he had a whole bag there. I don't even see who they're missing. Wow. We got him, his team, and a bunch of important people. Talk about stacking the deck there. Well, they were on an escort mission, which included moving on foot from Fob Fies to the provincial governor's compound at... Asadabad, Kunar, Afghanistan, for a weekly security meeting. Uh, okay, so it was a meeting of the minds. Without getting into too much detail, we're going to let him tell his story, but uh, because of his actions, a suicide bomber ran up and tried to kill everybody on the insert, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. he took care of that problem. He's the one that stepped in and did that, and by doing it, he minimized the loss of life to, all, to most everybody there. However, there were some soldiers that were killed. Um, Sergeant Mahoney, Command Sergeant, uh, Major Griffin, Major Kennedy, Air Force Major Gray, and um, the USID Foreign Service Officer, Mr. Rabvata. Groberg sustained the loss of 45 to 50% of his left calf muscle with significant nerve damage and basically got blown to hell. So um, I can't wait to hear this story and hear about him and, and his whole life, actually. You ready to get him on? Well, one last thing to mention is he... He wrote a book we want to we wanna mention real quick, Eight Seconds of Courage, a soldier's story from immigrant to the Medal of Honor, um, in which he talks more than just the story of the actions uh, which resulted in him being given the Medal of Honor, but he expands into a lot more his experience, um, thoughts and lessons learned regarding the Army. So hopefully we're going to get into some of that with him. Oh, we will. We'll drag Morgan. everything out of him. Don't worry. You ready to get him on? <laughs> yeah, let's do it, buddy. Bye, bro. So here he is. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this, man. We, we uh, man, we're, we're honored to have you. That's all right. Honor is all mine here. It's exciting. Yeah, anytime we can get a uh, an MOH recipient on, you know, we've we've had um, we've had Kyle Carpenter in the past, Mike Thornton, Dakota Meyer. We we love talking to you guys. You guys always lay down some very interesting information for our listeners. So, uh, and I know they get a lot out of it. So, thanks for sitting down with us. Of course. So yeah, that's a hell of a thing to strap that medal around your neck or have it strapped around your neck. <laughs> 
Boy, that just turns you to something. I mean, that's a different life. Whop right there. And yeah, no kidding. The um, man, hats off to you, bro. And you got three, huh? They say you got three crazy guys out there. You're talking about Cal, you know, Dakota, and Mike. Yeah, I mean, you want to go to a firefight? They go all, all, all three of them. You're gonna be pretty good. We, right. might, we might add you in there too, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not be the LPO. I like the middle. I'm like, oh, you guys go get them. Go get them. <laughs> go out there and do it. Right? Because if they can handle y'all, then shit, I know they can handle me. <laughs> all right, brother. All right. Here's the deal, man. The first uh, the, uh, first part of this here. thing. Yeah, we got a mad minute coming down, so we're gonna fire some questions at you to get your brain going before we get into the deep part of this water. So, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Wizard, fire away. All right, buddy. If you could, uh, if you could possess anyone's body for one month completely anonymously, who would it be and why? Uh, Brad Pitt, because he freaking dominates and he can get whatever the hell he wants in life. And he's like, I'm around. I want to be fun. It's kind of. He <laughs> might be one of the coolest. He's starting people to get a little older. There, that's all right. Hey, that's like that's dude. That's kind of. He's kind I think he might have like the Sean Connery syndrome, right? So that dude's oh. going to be cool his whole life. You know what I mean? Je- he doesn't have that accent like Sean. Sean's be like, all right, all right. <laughs> and then it's just over, right? Just Sean Connery. <laughs> Sean Connery. And then, then Brad, he just. Yeah, that's a great choice, actually. That's a good one. A lot of benefits that would come with that one, right? I think so. Good pull for a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> what do you got, buddy? <laughs> right off. All right, brother. Travel back in time and live out any period for a week. Which one would it be? Uh probably William Wallace time. I mean, I just think he's such a freaking badass in the history of just going mm. out there and and you know fighting for your people and and you know there's nothing like getting to a firefight, aka a firefight, without any actual. Uh, uh, guns and taking a sword, you know, sprinting down on the field and oh. facing the enemy one on one. Man, I, I t- that that's how it should be. We should get rid of all the nuclear weapons, all the rifles, and go back to swinging axes and bows and arrows. Or, or just pull out the bow and arrow, right? Just a sword and axe. See how tough you re- see if you really yeah, want to go to war. That. You really want to get <laughs> Then we'll do it that way. Killing people with bombs and just blowing a whole bunch of people up that don't even want to be in the fight or anything like that, man. If you really want to get, because that's hard, man. Swinging that stuff, fighting like that is exhausting. It's a, them guys back in the day, man. They could fight like nobody's business. I mean, I think the the rifle and pistol got invented just out of pure laziness. That's absolutely what it had to be. I guess more to do with effectiveness, Honestly, but I'd like to go back and see how long one of those fights lasted. Because you're right, it's, it is completely exhausting. You're carrying like a thirty to forty pound sword, and you're swinging it for you know, they say even ten minutes. I mean, you got to be just done, uh, just running down into the whole crowd. I mean, the first front couple of lines, and then just—I mean, yeah. Even if you were good at the, in the middle, something just—and the reason I think they lasted for days is because everybody gets some worn out. It's like, let's take a break for a second. I'm gonna yeah. walk over here, <laughs> rub some dirt on, and get back take in. A break. <laughs> Good lord! I don't know, you guys. I I I have no desire to. Uh, no thanks. I have a ton of yeah, respect I for those now, guys, wizard, but, but you know, reality no is, I, I probably would have been like, I'm 175 mm. pounds. I would have, I would have got my ass kicked so fucking quick. Uh, I don't even know if I can curse, but <laughs> yeah, it was all about brute strength back then, right? Yeah. All right, let's go with um, when, not if, the zombie apocalypse hits. What are your most indispensable pieces of kit? Well, first one is to be a mech kit uh, because I'm not worried about zombies. I'm worried about which asshole human being I'm going to have to go kill because he's going to try to steal my shit. Hmm. Uh, next one is going to be an axe because I've been going to this uh, axe throwing uh, little 
place <laughs> uh, here in Seattle, and apparently I'm decent at it, and I freaking love it. And the third one is my iPhone until it dies, just so I can listen to music and be in peace for a little while while I'm just murking people. Man, I got an, there's an axe throwing competition I got to go to here in a couple of days. It's funny you should bring that up, man. My wife, Melanie, was just telling me about it. An axe throwing competition coming. Oh, and uh, Pete um, Hexsmith from Fox and Friends. Did you see yeah. on the news where he was throwing those? There was an axe throwing contest, and he threw that axe and missed the target and hit that guy in uniform. Hit that. No. <laughs> Wait, what? Dude, dude hit him with the axe. Like, he, uh, Hexsmith threw that thing and it popped off the target or did something and hit this dude, this young army kid. I think it was an army kid with that axe and, and, and apparently did some good work on it. Like, hurt him. <laughs> Not too bad, but serious? <laughs> I don't know what was, I don't know how that happened. <clears throat> it's funny you should talk about that, man. I, um, I heard he had done that. I hadn't talked to him since, God. uh, since he did that. I need to ask him. I, one thing I keep forgetting. Edged weapons are dangerous. I learned to respect oh, yeah. for spears and those guys carrying those old weapons, but uh, that's another story for another yeah, day. Yeah, I'm with that stuff still, and old wizard decided to come down and get him a hold of it one day. It got good to him, too good to him, turned around and bit him. Yeah, I almost took it right in the guts. But anyway. <laughs> How's it going, bro? I almost cut his hand off. I, don't know, I mean, how many did you have? A bunch. It went, yeah, it a went bunch. through my hand. <laughs> I, I no, was able to... Yeah, oh, he, bro, he had this makeshift spear. Was I mean, it was a broad, like story. this man. I mean, it was one of those huge arrows or uh, um, spears. It's a, yeah. uh, for pig hunting. That's what yeah. I use it for. And he was just throwing it at my. I had all my my target stands for my knives, my bow, and all that. And man, he just started. First day he got mm. here, he cut his damn hand off of my spear. Almost cut my hand <laughs> off. I impaled it. Yeah. Oh man, what that are thing we was about? going right through those <laughs> three foot cube archery blocks. Yeah. All the way through and cutting like an eight-inch gash, which was incredible. No. Yeah. Let's go with, um, all right. Since you have a master's in intelligence management, you may be the ideal <laughs> candidate for this question, so stand by. Will artificial okay, intelligence great. result in a utopian era of human advancement or take all of our jobs and eventually become a real-world Skynet marching into a dystopian future and exterminating mankind as we know it? Is that my choice? Which one? <laughs> what do you feel is going to happen with artificial Fucking intelligence? Skynet, man. That thing is real. <laughs> He's so confident that about movie that. Right there is the truth. <laughs> it's Look the at truth. what's going on. They got all this AI stuff happening. They're going to take over eventually. You can look at Watson. <laughs> Watch Watson. Watson knows everything about everything. One day Watson's going to say, "Why the hell do I have to listen to these people? I cannot own them, and I'm really smart. I'm smart in all of them." And I'm going to take over. Yeah, it's going to be. That's World War Three right there. People are nervous about human beings. It's going to be AI. Mm. You oh, heard it right here, ladies and gentlemen. Flo yeah, just well, when they t that first AI system they turned online, what was it? In, in three minutes, once they logged it in into the internet, it became a sex crave Nazi. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story. Yeah, yeah, the first AI they snapped online, and I, I think it said three minutes. It didn't yeah. take long at all, man. And when it was learning off the internet, and it turned into yeah. A sex crazed Nazi. That's what his personality was. That's terrible. <laughs> they had to shut it down. Well, it was just ingesting everything that yeah. it could pull. It could off pull. Of, I, mean, I think so even Elon Musk. If you Musk, imagine, if you fed all of the internet's, which has got to be a lot of just junk food, into the brain of anything, what it's going to turn into? I just think that. I I think that you know. It, I mean, in a serious talk, that kind of stuff, you got to have a switch off button, like, and you got to make sure that switch off button, you know. I really turns off the system if we once we ever get to that point 
because it is scary. You know, people think we joke around about it, but it's it's a reality. It's actually I don't think it's going to be Terminator, uh, but I mean it could turn into some pretty you know ridiculous thing where AI decides to take a certain course of action, which is could potentially mm-hmm. you know. Oh, I think that you know, based on the situation right now, a nuclear attack on this country should go, should go through, and that's to me that's that's freaking crazy. And but I'm too dumb to really you know talk more about it because I don't understand how the crap works. I but doubt that. This kind of scares me a little bit. That and zombies, man. You know. <laughs> well, if anybody hasn't watched Joe Rogan's interview with Elon Musk, where he starts talking about that very interesting and that's a guy who's kind of at the forefront not kind of he is at the forefront of that type of technology so you should check oh, yeah. it out yeah, he's, he's freaked out by that a zombie this apocalypse all you have to you do is just take face. all the uh narcotics away from people like for, if we had a like if an emp broke down or something happened where everyone at one time couldn't get those all the pill all of them not just the opioids, but any and all pills that people have to take a drug that they relied on that mm-hmm. it actually has a hold of them if they yeah. cut all that, that's a zombie apocalypse. Motherfucker running out in the street, just tearing tough apart, trying to find us, killing each other. That's what that is. Because you are a zombie but when you you're know, on that crap. But you, you guys watch, uh, have you, you watch Walking Dead, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I want to know how the hell these zombies took over. Because they're super slow and stupid. Now, I watched World War Z with Brad Pitt, my man. You know, I can't understand <laughs> my how man. you have a situation there, right? They're, they're pretty damn fast and crazy. Now, Walking Dead, every t- I, I, I don't know why I keep watching that show, but every time I'm watching it, I'm like, how is that possible? Like, how did you let these slow-ass zombies, you know, take over? It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, well, I'm not completely up on the whole walk. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of the show, but I understand the premise. And when you gave your answer, I think you were right. Isn't the biggest problem in Walking Dead the fact that you've got to battle these other human groups? To yeah, survive, the, that's what he becomes. Yeah, you know the zombies just kind of become dangerous wildlife. You got to be aware of, right? Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah kind exactly. of idea. Like angry deers. That's what they are. You know, angry deer. <laughs> you got a half sharp sword. You're gonna be all right. All right, Marcus. Yeah, right. We got to get out of this uh, rabbit hole, bud. Okay, get him. Hit him with another one. Favorite movie you like to play out in real life? Uh, John Wick. Yeah, but just, uh, you know, Brad Pitt's I, not I, in that movie. No, he's not. Uh, my man Keanu, Keanu is, but. You know, I mean, the only part about it is I don't want my dog to get, you know, to get hurt. But he's pretty badass in that movie. I yeah. can't wait for the third one to come out. I know. Him against the world. John Wick is fake. Brad Pitt is real. As for the movie one. Good job. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, our, 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 fa- our favorite. Oh, are you Ryan, talking about the Ryan greatest Reynolds. actor of all time? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> We're trying to get in the next Deadpool movie, so every time we talk about Ryan Reynolds, we always explain how he's one of the greatest actors to ever grace the uh, silver screen. He dominates. <laughs> he dominates. Shit. You know what? I want to go back and be Ryan Reynolds. I want to be Ryan Reynolds. Time out. We're changing this. <laughs> he's the new news, man. All right. If you could take any animal and make it the size of an elephant, which one would you pick and why? Wow. Oh, man. Animal and make him to the size of an elephant. I got to think this one quick. Uh, a squirrel. Just because I just want to see what happens <laughs> when you have that big-ass animal squirrel who's scared of everything just running around and just going nuts and see what my dog would do because she wants to, you know, she's a German pit. And she every time she sees a squirrel, it's like, like that, that movie Up. You know, she's just ready to go jump six feet, climb a tree, and go get it. What would she do if that squirrel was the size of an elephant? I'd be. I just think it'd be funny. 
Anything that moves that fast and is that nervous, the size of an elephant would be extremely dangerous. Marcus, what oh, do you got, buddy? Chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Best dive bar you've been into? Oh man, best dive bar I've been into. Um, hey, I have to go back to college, and I probably go Bentley's. Um, you know, it's just d- disgusting. As the University of Maryland, it's got you know, people. I've seen people piss on the floor mm. early. It's got cheap cheap beer and. It's overcrowded and it's just awesome. Great party. Cool. And it's named Bentley's. That's even better. Yeah. That's a heck of a name, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes you think you're with... upper class while yeah. you're down there in the dive. I think in college I've been kicked out at least a dozen times from that bar, but it's cool. You know, I still got back in the next night. Maybe the same night. <laughs> back door. It's cool. Right. All right. Um, last one. What's your fondest memory as a child? Wow. Yeah. Um, one right deep with that one. You know, that's a great question. I can't even think of my fondest memory as a child. I moved into the States, honestly. You know, hmm. I, mean, I was born in France, and um, I remember, like, I was, you know, 11 years old going to 12, and, you know, when my dad told me, well, my dad told me a fake story. He lied to me to move to the States. I was playing Nintendo, and he asked, he came in my room, he said, hey, man, do you like McDonald's? I said, I, 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 yeah, I love McDonald's. He's like, okay. Uh, he's like, do you, do you want to meet Michael Jordan? I remember being a kid like, my God, Michael Jordan. I'd love to meet Michael Jordan. He's like, if you, move, if you come to the States, because my mom told my dad, like, if you convince Flo to move to the United States, we'll, we'll move there. And so he sold me on moving to the States with McDonald's <laughs> and meeting Michael Jordan. <laughs> my loyalty to my family, to my friends, to my school, to my sports all went out the windows for McDonald's <laughs> and this guy named Michael Jordan. So... By the way, when we moved to the States, I barely ate McDonald's because that was a fake news story right there. And then Michael Jordan, I did, I did get to meet him, though. You did? He walked right by me one time. Didn't acknowledge me, no nothing. But, I mean, <laughs> so technically he never lied to me. But, honestly, like, moving here was, like, huh. was the coolest thing. And I was super excited. I, I'll never forget, like, just the idea, the process of, like, thinking about moving to the States. It was just unbelievable. So. That's awesome, cool. man. Cool. I hadn't had a chance to meet him either. I heard, I heard he's a good dude. I've heard all kinds. Of, that's Michael Jordan, man. It's just yeah, it is. Hell, he it is. is. He's a legend. Oh my right man, he's a legend. Well, you know what? Um, thanks for participating in our Mad Minute. Those were some solid answers. But um, really, and we like to think that the reason people come here is just for the entertainment value, but uh, that's not really the case. Our real mission is uh, kind of is front and center right there in our name, Team Never Quit Podcast. And people come here to either whether it's for inspiration or just to help them deal with what they're going through in their own lives and persevering through that. And they come to listen to stories from people such as yourself who've been through incredible difficulty, persevered, and come out the other side. And yeah. they gather a lot of knowledge from those stories. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us your greatest Never Quit story or stories. We, uh, you have the floor, sir. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about that for the last couple of days. Uh, you know, which one I want to talk about? I think probably the, you know, military wise, well, they're most all of them military, but it has to be. You know, the first one would be Ranger School. It's kind of funny, Marcus, because mm. I, I remember reading your book uh, when I was in when I was in college, and I knew you know from a long time ago I wanted to join the service and stuff. Also, knew by reading your book, I never as hell wanted to join the Navy and become a SEAL. Um, you scared the bejesus out of me with your... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the whole <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. so, I, 
that's my first qu- never quit. I actually quit right off the idea of this <laughs> Orange Fields. But um, cautionary no, it tale. Going, it was going to the army, and it, it, it was Ranger School. Um, you know, the second phase, the mountain phase. I'll never forget. It was just you know, you, you're carrying that weight, and you're out there, and and you know, going up and down these mountains, and. It, it had been raining for five straight days, just a pain in the ass, and I was just fed up, right? You know, you're you're about five weeks in, four weeks in, and, you know, you're carrying about 100 pounds, and, and I remember thinking, like, man, this is just not for me. And there was this guy named Gallardo with me. And, I, you know, at the time I didn't know, but Gallardo uh, received uh, the Silver Star on based on Sal Junta's uh, Medal of Honor um, mm. uh, oh, firefight. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, he was a squad leader. He got shot, he got shot in the dome. Um, you know, freaking threw his helmet and went back into the firefight out there, leading these guys while Sal went out wow. there to recover his buddies. It was crazy, crazy story. Wow. But anyway, he was there. And I, I really hated the dude uh, because he was a legend out there. Everybody knew who he was, and he knew all the RIs, Ranger instructors, and um, and he had this freaking attitude of, like, I'm a badass and you're a piece of shit. But I'll never forget this. I think we're going up this mountain, and we go all the way up to the you know, to the top, and then we – you know, freaking lightning starts striking down, and so they tell us to drop our stuff and and run down the mountain. And I'm gone. I'm down. I'm down at the bottom of the mountain. And I'm just like freaking fed up. I'm like, damn, this shit sucks. Like, I, you know, I don't know if this is for me. You know, you start doubting yourself. You know, physically it, it took a toll, but the mental aspect took a toll too. You know, you're not eating much. You're not sleeping. And I'll never forget this. You know, Gallardo comes up to me. And I guess he saw me, you know, from a mile away, and he's like, "Yo, you good?" And I'm like, "Dude, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is for me." He's like, "Yeah, same here." And I was shocked. I was like, "What? This is like this dude's, hmm. you know, I'm like what the hell?" Like, you know, he's like, "Look, bro, let's get up this mountain after this, you know, and tomorrow morning we're gonna quit together." And I remember thinking like, Gallardo's gonna quit too. So that started feeling like a little bit better by myself, thinking like, "Yo, if I if he's feeling the same way, then and this must be really hard." Hmm. Anyway. We go up the mountain, we do the patrol, you know, we go out there, set up our um, camp and, you know, go to, get about an hour of sleep the next morning, wake up. And he comes up to me, he's like, yo, you ready to quit? I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, bro. He says, he says, well, let's go through today, we'll quit tomorrow. And he did this for about three straight days. And the entire time, <laughs> I was really thinking to myself, like, I, did, I stopped thinking about me. You know, I stopped thinking about how I felt. And I was like, Oh man, I got a responsibility now. If I quit, he quits, and and it's, it was the greatest lesson I've ever heard, you know, ever learned in the military early on. Which was, man, it's never about you, right? It's just like, you know, your body can do incredible things, right? Your body can can operate for weeks on end with limited amount of sleep, limited amount of food, right? Mm-hmm. It's about what do you have inside your soul? Are you willing to go out there and take it? And so when I started thinking about another person in my decision-making process, it completely changed everything. Mm. You know, I stopped being so weak. And about the third day into it, you know, he wakes me up. He's like, yo, we're quitting today? And I looked at him, I was like, and it was all this, it was this sunny day, beautiful, right? And I'm like, kind of look up. I'm like, nah, I think we're good. And he's like, all right, well, don't, you know, and he said, you know, don't be a bitch. <laughs> you know, he changed the whole <laughs> thing. He's like, he's, he's like, this is not about quitters, man. You know, this is this is about you going out there and finding out what you got. And he kind of like changed his entire, you know, mindset on me and, and and motivated the heck out of me. But I tell you this because that was the toughest thing I ever went through physically. You know, and I wasn't the only one that's got that was out there doubting. And it's okay. It's okay to have doubts about yourself in that moment. You know, it was you know, I, I was <clears> you're supposed to. 
You're supposed to have doubts. That's how you know it's hard, and that's how you know you're training. If you if you're not having that, that means you've already been there, and it's just like, well, I'll just act like I'm nervous, you know, or, I, or, or, or yeah. put that pressure because if you, I mean, you, you're not making any headway if you're not clawing your way through it. It's supposed to be hard. Yeah, and and you know, I, I went through it, and on today's day, I've never that that is to me that school was is the best thing I've ever gone through. It taught me a lot about myself. First of all, it taught me that if I had a choice between, you know, in 24-hour period, between uh, 20 minutes of sleep or eating an MRE, eating some food, I take the food all day, every day. Um, and, I, you know, if you would have told me before that school was like, hey, if you could take sleep or food, which one would you take? I said, I'll take sleep all day. Man, it is crazy when you don't eat and when you eat calories in your body, how that feels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also learned a lot, you know, about myself in terms of, you know, whether as a leader. You know, what kind mm-hmm. of, you know, what ticks me off, who I, who I am uh, when, you know, you don't sleep, you don't eat, and they put this incredible amount of pressure on top of you. I um, also learned that it's okay to be humble, and it's okay to tell your, your teams that you don't know shit about shit if you don't know shit about shit. Because mm-hmm. they're, 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 they'd rather hear that than you making some shit up, and, and you'll work better as a team. And I took that lesson, I took it right into combat, uh, my first tour, when I was a PL in Afghanistan. And how did that get applied? Like, you give it an example of that? Yeah, I'll give you an example. The example in Ranger School was when they put me, so remember, I'm a, I'm a lieutenant, so this, you know, no, no, no big deal, right? I'm out there, and here I am. They put me as a weapon squad leader um, in, uh, in, in, in the first phase of Ranger School. And honestly, I had, I, I, you know, I had no idea how to act like a weapon squad leader. And I had this PFC hmm. who's probably in Delta right now. And then this guy's freaking, his father was in Delta before. And he's badass. And he looked at me. He says, hey, sir, uh, uh, he looks like you don't know shit about shit. And that's, that's why I said use that. I'm like, yep. <laughs> With yeah, all due respect. Yeah. And, and he said, he said, um, he said, look, this is what I'm going to do. He's like, just follow me and just start screaming. Act like you know what you're doing. And I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll tell everyone where to go. I'll do the sectors of fire. I'll position people. And I'll call out, you know, fire and all that stuff. I said, sounds good. And that was, to me, a huge lesson of learning how, you know, as a leader, look, it's okay if you don't know what the hell you're doing, but you got to trust your people. So when I got to Afghanistan, my first tour, I mean, who am I, right? I've never been a firefight in my life. And here I am supposed to lead a platoon. They've been in combat for four months already in the Kunar, right? Right where you're at, um, uh, Marcus. Yeah. And and so how the hell do I go out there? Good times. How the hell do I go out there and tell them, like, listen, uh, I'm the boss and follow me? You know, so I remember I went to my platoon sergeant and I said to him, I was like, hey, listen, guy, I, I you know, I'm, I'm Lieutenant Groberg. And the first thing he said to me is that, yeah, I can read your name tag. So that was a great start. Mm. Uh, and I told him, like, hey, I'm taking my pride, my rank, you know, and my ego and put them to the side. Like, gone. I'm asking you, man, a man to teach me and guide me and mentor me to be the right, the right effective leader for this platoon. Because the only thing that matters to me is bringing our men back and while accomplishing the mission. And he was, I think, a little shocked at the conversation at first. And he kind of looked at me he's like, alright, that's cool. you know. And we earned that trust right off the bat. He just told me to shut up for the next seven days you know, and we're going to figure out a way uh, he's like, we're going to go on patrol, we're going to get hit, watch the way we have to contact, the way we communicate with back to you know, base, the way we call for fire, all that good stuff. We'll talk to the man, find out, you know, where they're from, but don't get too close to them. And then eventually you're going to get a briefing from the, from the CO, uh, commanding officer, and, you know, we'll take that briefing and his intent, and we'll come up with our own plan. But it was about 
it was literally that lesson I learned in, in ranger school, which is just because you have a rank doesn't make you a subject matter expert. Hmm. I was the least experienced person in my platoon. You're talking about 18-year-old kids who had been there for four months, had a million times more experience in combat than I did. And so who am I to go out there and say, because I have a little butter bar, that I'm out here, I'm, I'm the boss, and you have to follow me, and I know it all. And I think that's the biggest failure that I've seen in a lot of young lieutenants mm. is, you know, is, you know, coming out there and saying, hey, because of my rank, obviously you need to show me respect and you need to listen to me. And I've taken those lessons and I, and I apply it to today where I'm at in corporate America, right? It's about mm. people. It's about understanding your role. And being a leader doesn't always mean that you have to be at the forefront and telling people to follow you. You know, sometimes the whole thing, you know, follow me. Uh, you know, following others or like, you know, follow me while I lead and things like that. You take that that perspective and, and you apply it to your day-to-day activities, your day-to-day life or and whatever you're, you're you're doing. And you don't always have to be that person leading. So I try to lead from the middle. I figured that was the best way. I never made it to the officer rank. So I kind of was the center of the hourglass, the, the, the link between the brass and the men. And, and it's meant from, from that position, you control both sides of the weight. Right, yeah. you're in the center center of the bench, so you got you can use both sides of yourself to push or pull whatever you need, and it also keeps you sharp because you mm-hmm. got to deal with the guys underneath you and the guys above you. Shit rolls downhill, complaints roll uphill. Everybody sits, in, you know, just kind of one of those that disseminate amongst the herd. Once you yeah. realize that, even if you are the most powerful man in the room, that doesn't matter. That's incumbent upon you to step back, watch, look, listen, and see what's happening. See who thinks they know what's going on. Think who thinks they know, but they don't have a damn clue. And then everything in between. The trick is yeah. to combine the top to the bottom and make it one cohesive unit to where it runs so smooth that there is no leader. There is no head of the snake. So if you take one of us down, it doesn't cripple mm-hmm. us. Right. For every guy knows who every guy is and what he's capable of. And while we go through all this, it's incumbent upon each other to talk to each other and simplify things for the guys. It's not that you're young. Well, it is that you're young. You don't know anything. It's already it's all there. It's just a matter of whether or not you see it while you step back and you you actually pay attention to what's being said in front of you and how to apply it to make sure that you don't even if you do miss something, man, that's all right. That's what the team's for. Because eventually, it'll you know somebody will catch it and they'll see what's what's going on and whether or not it's going good or it's going bad or it's going in between. Because combat and everything that we do is you know it's a duck on a pond. It's smooth. We're smooth sailing on the top, and our feet are going nine hundred miles an hour, just to try and keep you keep keep it center, right? And, yeah. Uh, it is. It's just every time you go into a new situation, you, you step back and and always listen. Just like they say, you don't run to your death in combat. Man, we're going to walk in there. Just like an old bull, new bull, right? Or young bull. This is like, hey, we're just, let's just walk down there and see what's going on. We get hit in the face. Well, at least we know we're in a fight. But other, until that happens, man, let's just watch this thing unfold, see how it plays down, and and um, trust your guys. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's it. You know, people, it's funny because you know, people ask me as an officer, and and. People don't get it, right? I mean, you know, they've seen your, they've read your book, um, they've seen the movie, and and you know, then you got the little Hollywood aspect to it. And people always think about combat as like this, you know, uh, nonstop firefight, bombs dropping, you know, chaotic things. But I, I, people are shocked when I tell them, like, hey, listen, you know, I fired, you know, seven magazines in my first, you know, six magazines in my first tour. That's it. And they're like, what? Like, you got all these firefights? You, yeah, I'm like, because my mm. weapon 
for me at the time was a freaking radio. radio. You know, <laughs> I had I had I had my soldiers. You know, with the two forty, with the saw. I, you know, I had my snipers and all that stuff. I was an officer. They don't understand it. Like you know, my job is to freaking call. You know, drop bombs on these folks. You know, if I don't have a JTAC, you know, here that, that was me. Well, my platoon star on the radio. I didn't have an RTO. Uh, my first tour. So that was my job. But my job, you know, if I need a speedball, if I need, you know, if I, I need to tell the, you know, the company, hey, this is we're in a firefight and this is where we're doing. This is where we're at. This is what we need. And, you know, you orchestrate the whole the whole scene and people don't get it. They're like, so what, you're just standing there. I'm like, no, you're not standing there. Literally, you're moving around. But, I, you know, you got to trust your people. You know, they're the best of the best at that point. You know, I got squad leaders. I got team leaders. You know, taking care of the firefight for me, taking care of the sectors. You know, it's just the name of the game. And then and you most, find that asshole that, that wants to go out there and, like, you know, be Rambo. That's the dude that's going to get people killed. Yeah, most – I mean, you – the battles where all the bombs are dropping and artillery, that means that there's a lot of people there. You get in a situation where they're constantly – that means somebody importance there or you stumbled on something you should have kind of deal <clears throat> or you should have – and the more that it is a constant lull, I mean, man, that, I, you know, it can go for a while or it can be intermittent, fast, yeah. hit you, come out. I don't see it's a they're constantly har- harassment fire. You know what I'm talking about? That, that, that's what they're proficient at in Afghanistan, a harassment fire. They just kind of move around the mountains mm-hmm. and just and hit you with it. Yeah. When it's an all on engagement and I mean, it's going down. Yeah, those do happen. A lot of people, they base that off of watching the movies about the wars previous to the guys fighting in the present war, like World War II, yeah. all that big stuff. Like, every, every everything shifts, and the dynamic, and the, but... Yeah, but I mean, like, you kind of look at your situation, you look at uh, Romache's situation, you know, at Keating. Yeah. Those are not, like, your day-to-day firefights no, huh? in Afghanistan. Yeah, those are very rare, almost, where you have that amount of enemy, amount of, you know, a group of enemy that is coming down on you and chasing you and trying to overtake you, and, you know, when you guys went through, that's, I, shit, man, I had, like, I remember being in Afghanistan, my second tour, and I'm pretty sure, like, I was having, like, these nightmares, thinking, you know, going back from my own firefights, but, like, think about your situation, right? That going, sucks, like, running down the freaking mountain, and then thinking, like, if I get caught up in this kind of shit, like, what do I do? How do you get out? Because people don't understand. Hmm. Afghanistan, man, these people move at a different rate. Oh. Like, they're freaking ghosts. Mountain ghosts, man. Out. Yeah, this is fucking haul the mail through there. It's it's unbelievable. I tell people now, I use the analogy, just like our Navy SEALs love our gear. Most SF dudes, everybody, we love our gear. Imagine playing any sport that you love on the side of a mountain, right? I started that fight. I had everything I owned. All my kit. Three hours later, I was butt naked. And all my gear was gone. They whipped my ass till I was naked and killed every one of my teammates. That's how bad that was. I don't know if you ever had your ass whipped till your clothes come off, but I have. <laughs> and it was brutal. It sucked so bad. I mean, it's a you know, it's cool. It's a, as far as warriors go, man. I you know, in, embrace the flame. I, I did. I do. It was an honor to walk in that battle. It truly was. But let yeah. me tell you something, dude. That was a fight. I I hadn't ever been in one like that since. I, I've been close, but never. Never something to where they whip me till I was naked, dude. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain, though. <laughs> it is, dude. Uh, hats off to them guys, man. They could fight like you can't believe. It's like, it's like a pissed off, just <laughs> tight. Just They're supremely adapted. Man, dude. Just, There's no doubt. The way that's, they, that's their history. Yeah. 
Well, it's just like us fighting in our backyard. It's anything. I mean, yeah. it's it's relative. I mean, they are. It's amazing how they can defy gravity is the way I say it. Because the way they run the side of those rocks. And they'll be standing right over top of you just looking down. And you're holding on for dear life. It's it's something. You know, I'll tell you what, Mark. In that movie, I th- you know, you did a lot of um, great justice for for you know the common folks who are watching this the movie in in the scene of the kid running down yeah. the mound, the way he's moving because I, I that is what I use an example when I talk to folks about like how fast they are. I'm like, watch, just go watch the movie and then watch the way this kid moves and then tell me how incredible that is. I remember we uh, we dropped a, uh, a predator on on this on these you know. This, these two jackasses, and then uh, Wahidi, governor of uh, of uh, Southern Kunar wow. province, he uh, he made his big deal saying we killed a bunch of civilians. Well, guess what? We got the feed, so we went out there, uh, you know, to show him the feed and said, "Stop lying, right? Here, here's your, you know, you can see these guys are shooting at us, and then you can see the, you know, the predator, you know, hitting, right? And we'll watch in we had a whole video on this thing. But what's amazing after is you see these three other dudes that come in and pick up the body. And they're carrying one of their bodies, and they're flying down this mountain with a holding a body. Yeah. They're going so fast, and you're like, "That's why we can't ever see them." And you talk about harassment, fire. That's how they move. They'll shoot from one, you know, one location, sprint to the next location, shoot again. So you're like, "Where the hell are they?" They're shooting from all sorts of directions. It's probably the same group. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking about you know a lot of lessons learned in combat or in training and, and whatnot. And after the whole Medal of Honor. Uh, was received and the weight of that you know we've talked to guys about that before and you become a public figure and you take on a new responsibility could you talk a little bit about how what you've learned through that or how previous lessons have served you well going into that well i tell you what um when i got the call from obama president obama about receiving the medal september 24 uh 24 21, 2015. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let, let me interrupt you real quick. There's an interesting yeah. story I saw you talk about with the original. It was like the pre-scheduling call you received. <laughs> Can you tell that story? This is, a, this is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, after I just so I got out of the Army in, 2000, in July of 2015, and then I went, um, I went to work for a three-letter agency right after that. Uh, did some fun stuff, and we got to go to a place you guys probably know about um, out there in near Las Vegas and, you know, close to area 51, little aliens over there, you know, printing site. Yep. And we're doing uh, uh-huh. inserts and all that good stuff. And my phone, like literally the entire time. So, I, you know, my wife now we're dating at the time. I told her I'll be gone for about 10 days and we have no cell phone service out there. And, but I still have my phone with me. And I'll never forget this. I'm walking out of chow hall and I'm about to go back to the, uh, to the barracks and my phone rings. Like, what the hell? And it said zero 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 on it. I'm like, oh my god, this is really creepy. So I pick it up. I'm like, hello. And this guy's like, hey, is this uh, Captain Grober? And no, at this point, I'm a civilian, right? I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean, it was. I, you know, I'm retired. He's like, hey, this is Colonel Slade from the Pentagon. I just want to call you and let you know that on Monday, September 21st, between the hours of 1400 and 1430, you're going to be receiving a call from a senior high-ranking official. Is this a good number to call you at? I'm like. Uh, what yes he's like okay he's like make sure don't miss that call and he's like and he hung up and then he hung up and my phone went freaking no service again now i was just kind of looking around there's no one around me i'm like this is the creepiest things ever happened to me i'm like this is when i figure out you know i'm working for these people but i'm like man i didn't know they could just turn on the cell phone tower around or something 
And it was it was <laughs> pretty amazing what they can do. <laughs> unbelievable. I'm like, how the hell? You, first of all, where, how do you know where I'm at? How are you reaching me? And, and and how did you make this happen? And I remember going to my boss, who you know, he was an SF guy. And I, I told him the story. He's like, yo, did you do anything stupid in Afghanistan? I said, I don't know, probably. But he's like, yeah, you're going after all these people now. So now I'm scared because I didn't know this was about the metal. <laughs> I thought I was being investigated for something. You know, you've seen all these stories now, like for what you did, right? And I was like, oh, shit, like, what did I do? I start trying to replay scenarios. And I was like, no, I don't think I ever did anything legal technically, but, you know, I freaked out. And he's like, just take Monday off. <laughs> just, you know, don't miss that call. But then, you know, on Monday, on the 21st, yeah, you get a call from President Obama, he's, and, and I'd met him a few times, and he's saying, hey, Flo, listen, it's my great honor to, you know, I'm going to be presenting you with a medal. It comes great responsibility with this. Um, and, you know, he's, you're going to be part of a, uh, of a small group of, of folks, and, and you know, there's going to be a lot of responsibility behind this. And, and he's like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more in the in coming weeks. And I'll never forget this, hanging off the phone. Um, I never felt so much shame in my life than that when after that phone call. And it's because I realized at that point, like my life has changed completely. Right. Um, I just couldn't grasp the idea of a medal of honor. To me, it was like almost a myth. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I never met a medal of honor recipient. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the only guy I, I, I've come close to me was, it was Clint Romache because we're in the same unit. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I, I, I saw him pass by, but he didn't have the medal at the time. But here I am, and now people are going to call you a hero. And I got four dudes killed in my patrol, right? I mean, Gray, Kennedy, you know, uh, freaking Griffin and Reggae all died. And so here you are going to call me a hero and put this metal around my neck. And I'm like, I, I, uh, the greatest failure and the worst day of my life, in my opinion. So the only thing I could think about was I need to call the Gold Star families. I need to call, you know, uh, Gray, Kennedy's. In Griffin's family, uh, Reggae, you know, he was from Egypt, and his wife went back to Egypt after he was killed. So, you know, lost contact. But I remember calling the families and asking them, I, you know, saying, sorry, I'm so sorry, but, like, here's here's the situation. And if I can't accept this unless you approve of it and unless you're going to be there every step of the way, because this is more, this is about you. This is about your husband. Mm. You know, this is about what they sacrificed for us and for me. And that was the only way I could justify it. And since then, it's been the same thing. Every time I talk about the medal, mm -hmm. I have to talk about the guys you know that were killed that day. Because if you think about the medal as being yours in Europe, then you don't you, you don't understand anything about anything in terms. You know, we don't wear a damn uniform. Mm -hmm. We don't go serve this country for for a medal. And it's been really tough. You know, with it comes responsibility. And I know we all do it different. Uh, Dakota does it very different, right? He, he, mm -hmm. he hates the metal. Um, he doesn't want to be associated with the metal. And, and that's okay. Uh, you know, when he got it, there was a lot of, you know, he wasn't accepted the way he expected to be accepted by those folks. And and he's doing his own thing. And I, and I freaking love Dakota for who he is and what he stands for. Um, you know, Kyle has got his own little thing. Um, you know, we all have our own story. Dakota likes to create his own hell. He's like, he, he's upset about getting that medal for what he does, but him and he gets in crazy fights every day. <laughs> Poor bastard. Well, he's trying to fight the teen to fight mom. Zuri, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Dude. 
<laughs> I forgot about that. He's always got something going on. He just that's his uh, thing, man. It's just yeah, he just I don't know. I love I him to death, man. Dakota, yeah, you're something else, brother. But yeah, man, it's been um I don't know, man. It's just, you know, it changes your life, but it's about what you make of it. And to me, it's a great opportunity to really give back to the community. Um, I never talked about August 8, 2012 for three plus years of my life. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never did. I lost 50% of my, my, my left, lower left leg, definitely, you know, this year, left ear. I went through a pretty, pretty brutal, um, you know, concussion in essence. And I went through some, you know, people, <clears throat> tell you what, PTS is real. Like, if you, you know, I, I didn't sleep for months. Um, and I, you know, I, I was, man, I was suicidal for a little while too <clears throat> because I was on so many drugs in the hospital. And I was, I had that survivor's guilt. Uh, but the, once, I, once I put the metal around my neck, it forced me to talk about it. And it's kind of crazy how therapeutic <laughs> talking right. about it is. It is, right? I totally agree. And, it's changed my life, you know, it's, um, you know, between meeting my wife and, and, and being able to talk about it is, you know, it's kept me above ground and it's given me a new perspective and, and, and it's just, it's freaking amazing. I, I had a question. I spoke the other, you know, about a month ago and someone says like, how, how, how can you talk about this all the time? I'm like, I, cause I get to talk about my friends who didn't come home. Yeah. I get to, you know, I get to, you, you got to hear their names. You got to hear their story. Mm-hmm. They're going to live forever. You know, as long as anyone reads anything about me, they're going to read about Gray. They're going to read about Kennedy. They're going to read about Griffin. They're going to read about Reggae. You know? That's right. That's why, you know, just next level. We kind of grazed over something real quick there. That for, You said for three years you practically didn't talk about it. So that's a transitionary yeah. period. And there was probably some really useful lessons learned in how you went through that transition, who supported you, how you converted from being in a dark space into, you know, where you are now. Would you like yeah. to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you guys know Travis Mills, obviously, right? No, of course, he's, he's been on he, our show. Uh, Great guy. Yeah. You know, he's the one that got me through my initial dark phase. You know, he came in my hospital room. Iron Man, dude. It's Iron Man. Got unreal. By the way, don't ever go to Starbucks with Travis Mills. Yo, he scares the shit out of these people, man. He gave his arm to the lady as she was trying to give him uh, you know, his freaking Starbucks coffee. And he thinks it's funny. I'm like, dude, you're going to give her a heart attack, bro. <laughs> you know? That's like the guys but, who pull their eye out and pull that trick in the drink, like drop their eyeball in the drink. I mean, it's funny for us, right? We can get it. If you do that yeah. to some young poor girl behind the counter at Starbucks, she's going to freaking need a doctor. Okay. But, um, um, yeah, he, uh, he really... He came into my room, and I guess he had heard about, you know, this angry captain, you know, who's sad, sad at himself and, you know, mad again, you know, mad at himself and hates the world. Anyway, he came in and gave me, in 15 minutes, changed my entire perspective, right? He reminded me of my mission in life, the oath I took. He reminded me about the guys that were, you know, that were gone and the opportunity to really, you know, honor them and talk about them and making sure that, you know, I live my life to the best of my abilities and I earn it. Um, and so that was really one of the most impactful things that ever happened to me because, you know, here you go, you have a quadruple amputee that comes in on four prosthetics with a smile on his face, loving the world, saying, man, what a good day to be alive, what a great day to call South Americans, right? And here I am with a little boo-boo on my left leg and I'm complaining about, you know, my situation. This guy, man, he dropped some knowledge on me real quick and he dropped some perspective and a reality check. 
Um, and he did it while being humble and no, you know, and, and, and just, you know, with a smile. And so that was really the, the initial step of my transition, but it took years, you know, it took years. I didn't sleep for, for a couple of years. I mean, I was an ambient. Um, I just couldn't sleep. Right. It's not like I was having nightmares. I just couldn't go to sleep. It just sucked. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, to this day, I can't even explain it. Like, you know, you, you're, if you go to sleep, you wake up an hour later and then you're just wide awake. Um, and you know, and, and a lot of it was like, I had to forgive myself in, in a weird way. Right. And, you know, yeah, I had to go out there and, and, and you know, be, be honest with myself. It's fucking war. People die. That's the reality. Yeah. A suicide bomber, I, you know, I, I threw him. He landed on my feet. He detonated. I lived. You know, four of my brothers then who were at least 20 to 25 feet away. You know, I don't make that decision. It's just the way it works. And I had to really be honest with myself. And I, and I needed to, you know, tell myself, hey, bro, you did the best that you could on that day. And that's just the way it works, man. That is the deck of cards, and that's the card that you pulled out, and that's the card that they pulled out. It's war, right? And it's ugly. Mm-hmm. Nothing pretty about it. And so, you know, it took years to really go through that in- internal process in my own head. But when I was transitioning out, the one thing that I, I knew that I, I needed to do was I needed to find mentors. I needed to find individuals who understood my background and where I was coming from and who had succeeded in that transition piece. And I needed to latch on, learn as much as I could, right? Mm-hmm. I hate that saying, like, you know, put your shit in your kit bag, right? But it's like, you know, you, you literally had to go out there and, like, I ask questions. Put yourself out there. Um, and so when I was transitioning out, that's what I did. You know, I found the Jim Shepard. I found uh, other folks out there who just, you know, infantrymen, army dudes who, you know, had find that success we went through some pretty sh- uh, crazy shit themselves but nothing was like that until i received the medal and when i got the medal i, I did I, I i called sal right junta i called you know leroy petrie um uh clint romache and i just asked them i said man how do you deal with this what do you do and this is when it, it, it drops some knowledge on me and they said listen man you can pick one or two routes you can just disappear you know go through the initial little like fanfare stuff and do your own thing or you can go out there and like talk about things and and highlight your brothers, uh, and highlight the, their stories. And so, I went with that, um, but also went with it like saying like, I also want to continue to live my life, and you know working, earning it. And in the end, if I can be remembered one way, this is the way I want to remember it. Like he was a good husband, a good father, uh, a good you know he supported his community as best of his abilities. Oh, and also he served his country, right? And that'll be the last way, you know, last thing on, on the list. I don't ever want to be remembered as a Medal of Honor recipient because that's never why. That's not why I joined the military. I joined the military to go out there, find, fix, and destroy these individuals, man. You know, they killed my uncle when I was 12 years old in Algeria. They beheaded him. They dismembered him. They put him in a box and sent him to my grandfather. That's the first time I I, I learned anything about terrorism. Can we and, just go into into a little bit deeper explanation of that because that goes into you know. You were born in France. You came to the United States. How has that affected your life, benefited you, or just played a role in your story? Well, I think it's played a role in the story. It got um, used for political reasons um, uh, in, a, in the last election, right, as an immigrant, because the whole immigrant peace thing. Mm-hmm. But in reality, here, here's what, you know, I was born in France. My mom is French-Algerian, right? Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't speak English. I was 12 years old. But, you know, it's so you know, when I came to this country, 
I was literally like English as second language in, in school. It was pretty pretty interesting times. You know, kids are assholes, man. <laughs> but um, probably never but, put you right there. But when I was twelve, when I came here, you know, my uncle. Uh, so I'm, you know, to, you know, give a background, people think it's funny cause I'm Brown, got a big nose and stuff, you know, and I tell them I'm Lutheran and they're like, what? Like, are you serious? We always thought you're Muslim cause I have a Muslim family, uh, on my mom's side. Right. Mm-hmm. My uncle, who was like literally my hero as a kid, you know, he, he all growing up, he wanted to do was be an imam, right? He wanted to be a preacher of the Muslim faith. And so he did that. He was 20 years old. He became an imam. Um, and then the GIA terrorist organization came in to Algeria. Yeah, I tried to I compare mm-hmm. it to Al Qaeda. I compared really more ISIS, right? And they went in there and they said, "Oh, hold on, you have women wearing miniskirts out there in the middle of Algiers. You have people drinking alcohol, like you have people partying. This is terrible, and we're gonna bring Sharia law and take over." And so they tried to do that, and the military fought back. The government fought back. And my uncle said, "Well, shit, man, this is not what I preach. This is not what I believe in with these people." So mm-hmm. he went in and joined the military. He became a commando out there. Hell, he went to freaking Fort Bragg and did some, you know, training with the Spec Ops guys out there. And then on a on a ceasefire in 1996 for to observe Ramadan of all things, right? He figured these people are going to go out there and preach. They like, could at least respect that, right? Right. I mean, Ramadan, like you know, they on a ceasefire, they ambushed him and his patrol as they were going back to their base, and they shot him. Then they took him and they beheaded him, dismembered him, put him in a box, and sent him to grandfather. Um, and the reason I say my grandfather is my grandfather's uh, as a re- he's pretty well known out there. He was part, you know, he he was a prisoner of war in the French uh, Vietnam, the French Indochine, yeah. and then he was part of the guys that uh, kicked out the French right uh, in the, in the, in a in the sixties. He was a leader out there, so he was well known out there. And and they sent it to my grandfather as a statement saying, "We'll kill anyone and everyone, and this is what we'll do." And so when that. My father told me exactly that story, you know, it's tell me what happened to my uncle. And at that point, that was, that was the last time I remember <laughs> I, I, just, I went in my room. I had some G.I. Joe's growing up and stuff, put them on a, in, a, in, a, in a trash bag and I threw it out. And I said, I'll never fucking play soldier again until I become a soldier. And you fast forward a couple of years later, 9-11 happens. <laughs> the same type of people. Right. And so, you know, you're you know, at that point, there was no doubt what I was going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and. You know, in my mind, and so that's when I went out there and went to fight. I went to fight, I went to kill these people, um, and you know, I came out of it with a completely different perspective, right? You know, I went to war to kill people, and I came out with like understanding of of love, brotherhood. Mm. You know, and it's crazy; people don't get it. You know, but it's just like I didn't mm. really care about the enemy as much when I was out there in a firefight. I care about my people to my right and to my left, right? right. You know, you know, I, I want to take out every single bad dude for sure. But you start worrying more about like, shit, man, let me kill this dude because he's about to kill my buddy. Um, but at that, there's nothing, I, 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 you know, I, I hope not. At least I feel like I've lived my life and maybe when I have a kid, that'll be that moment. But like in terms of like when that bullet whizzes by your head, you're like, oh, shit, right? You know, it is a rush. You're like, oh, man, this is the rush, man. You're like, this is it. Well, we're in business. You know, you go, you go after it. It's just it's a weird feeling. But um, I'll tell you what, the first bullet I ever whizzed by my head, I was uh, I just got to my first combat outpost. I've been I mean, I'm green as a get. I had that conversation the night prior with my platoon sergeant. So I'm outside it's 6 a.m. I'm pissing right a little weird little hole outside and you're pissing. And um, <clears throat> there's this the, our fueler. 
uh, the guy that you know pumps fuel. His name was uh, McPhee, big black guy, and he's pissing too. I'm like, hey man, how you doing? He's like, what's up, dude? I was like, I'm Flo. He's like, I'm, I'm McPhee. I'm like, that's cool. And then you hear, zoop, right by my head. And then I see this thing like right in the wall right in front of me just explode. It was a freaking sniper that took a shot at my head. Right <laughs> by my head. I had no idea what the hell was going on. The only thing I remember, though, I'm a, is that this viewer's big-ass penis, right? Fucking, like, I call it the snake. It's flavoring around everywhere. And he got this guy, and he goes, oh, shit. Oh, shit. He's shooting at us. He's shooting at us. And here I am. I just got shot at. It's like a three-inch fire hose just got loose. This shit that sticks in your head, right? This thing thing going everywhere. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, no, man, put this thing back in your pants. He's like, you see not a sir? And he's going around everywhere. And, of course, another shot comes in. That's when I realized, oh, no. Oh, yeah, they're definitely shooting at us now. But I'm like, yo, you need to take this thing away. It is distracting (laughs) me, man. (laughs) These these are the moments, you know, you kind of think back at and you laugh at, right? You know, and that's you you can't replicate this anywhere else, right? It's just, you know, it's just. That bullwhip, you never forget it. When it's personal, like when that dude was, like, actually shooting at your head and that bullwhip cracks and, and what the? Man, yeah, it's... <laughs> you, got, you got a human being, literally, and like, you think about it, like, that is trying to kill you. Yeah, and, trying to kill you. In the end, you do the same thing, right? And I still got that. I Well, I took the round, and I kept it, and I put it in my, in my pocket for the rest of the tour, and I have a picture of it. Those assholes, when we're coming back to the States, you know, they go through all your shit. They saw my round. They're like, you can't take that back to the United States. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it's a fucking expended round. They hit a wall. It's smashed in. Like, it's a, it's, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to freaking mount this thing. Whoever said They're that like, was no, dumb. You can't, no, you can't bring a live ammunition. I'm like, it's not live ammunition, bro. It took it you away. You could technically throw it at someone. That. No uh, shit. Whoever, <laughs> yeah, whoever that was, that, that's ridiculous. That was one of the dudes who was pissed off. He never got to go do anything. So he's not going to let you go yeah. do anything. Uh, those guys. It was a Bagram. Bagram. Freaking irritating. You know I mean? Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time there. Yep. <laughs> well, you know what? We, uh, at the end of any interview, we like to try to encapsulate a couple pieces of wisdom. Or it can be anything we've talked about. It can be completely unrelated to what we've talked about. But we like to ask our guest for a couple pieces of wisdom or advice that has meant a lot to them and is really, um, you know, just something you can, you can pass on. You never know what's going to stick with who hears it. So you can think of a couple items to put out there. Yeah. I think the first one for me, and I live by this, trust me, you know, what I'm, my current work position, the company I'm with, we're going through some tough times. And, um, you know, I believe in one thing is, you know, in every negative situation, find a positive and then fixate on that positive. You know, lock yourself in a in a room and just you know think about that positive and and you know live through it. So, you know, when I, for example, August eight, you know, I lost my friends, right? And you know, after a conversation with with, with Travis, you know, I, I really found that positive, which was, man, I get to talk about them, I get to honor them, I get to represent them. Um, I I you know, I've done Christmases, I've done Thanksgivings with their families, right? And it's like, you know, they're my family, and. I need to, you know, cherish that and honor that. And so instead of feeling sorry for myself and being angry at the world, you know, on the negative side, I focus on that positive. It gives me an opportunity to really highlight them and, and really live for something greater than myself. 
Uh, and so in any situation, no matter what happens, you know, fucking Chicago Bears kicker missing that damn, you know, field goal mm. uh, against the Eagles, right? You know, I, what's the positive? The positive is that at least uh, the Bears made it to the playoffs after <laughs> 10 years of not doing shit, right? <laughs> and so I that's the biggest lesson that I have. I tell people this all the time. Like, you know, when you're going through some tough times, you know, find one positive and just, just, just that's the only thing you can think of, right? And the last, the last one, the next one is, man, humble yourself. Always humble yourself. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I got a great wife. I got my dog. I got my cat. I got a great family. I got a great job. Um, and, you know, and every day I'm, I, I think about how I got there and what it took. And then I remember that, you know, not everyone has had the same opportunities as me. And then I got to go out there and make sure that I give back. And I also got to make sure that I earn it. I humble myself. You never take it for granted. Uh, and you never go out there and, 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 and you know, sh- be that show-off type of guy. And so if you can humble yourself, I think that's going to be that, that, that's gonna give you an opportunity to truly appreciate what you have in front of you. And it's also going to give you an opportunity to truly go out there and make something yourself that's greater than you ever thought you could could be. So these are two, two things, you know, two-word advice. And, and last one, fucking be proud of your goddamn country. Right. Hmm. I'm so sick and tired of people looking at our country right now and feeling sorry for ourselves. Are you kidding me? We are the greatest country in the world. Why? Because no one stands up to evil and assholes and shit the way we do. And guess what? It's a freaking honor that we can argue on both sides right now. Right. The freedom of speech. That's what it is. Doesn't mean we all have to freaking agree with our one single point of view. It's because we have the ability to debate. That's what makes us special. And guess what? You have men and women who die every day for that right to debate. So be proud of our country. And, I, and I'm tired of seeing people out there saying, like, man, we've lost ourselves. We're not the same or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people think we're, we're, we're a bad country now. No, man, screw that. Screw that. It's an honor for the fact that we can go out there and argue <laughs> with each other. Right? we got to keep it to a limit. Sure right? Is. Not hate. You can argue with each other. But because there are way too many people out there who have put their lives on the line, and we never came home for that damn right. So we need to honor that piece. So that's my three pieces of advice. That's awesome, brother, man. That truly is. You've had a a blessed run, a great adventure so far. I was just getting started, man, but... Good job. And thank you again for coming on here and sharing that with us and our listeners, man. I know they're going to get a lot from that, dude. I, I know I have. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed sitting and talking to you. Thanks, guys. Marcus, man, I'll tell you what. I swear, I'm not kidding. I swear to God. I mean, like, uh, it's funny. Your book, uh, your story played a massive in, uh, a part, a massive role in my military career. Um, when I was just a kid, you know, reading and in college, no military background, um, I, it really – it gave me a perspective. One, like I said, it made me definitely not want to be a SEAL. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't do well in water. You guys are next level in that piece. So, But, uh, you know, it really, that brotherhood. And and become, you know, I was a Division One athlete. And, and uh, you know, you kind of look at, like, what do I do next after this? I knew I want to go to the military. I just didn't know where and what. Uh, it really, it really allowed me to make that decision of where I wanted to go and, and understand the reality behind, you know, the decision I was about to make. Uh, and the consequences too. So I really, to that, I, you know, I've, I think I've said this to you at Shot Show almost four years ago. Um, uh, but it's it's uh, it, it played a huge part, and I appreciate you for that. I appreciate everything you've done, Wizard. Same thing, brother. You know what you're doing and, and what you've done, and 
uh, it's just an honor to be here on your podcast, uh, sharing a few words, and and you know, be fucking great Americans. You bet, brother. God bless you, man. Enjoy this day, and we'll uh, we got his number. Of course we do. All right, cool. We'll be in touch, man. All right, guys. Appreciate y'all. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Yep. Oh, take, take care. care. Now, well, Marcus, I feel like we've been here before. You know why I'm, we feel like we've another been here great guest, right? Seriously, well, man, that's one reason. <laughs> the other reason is the fact that we just recorded this outro and I failed to hit the record button. We're gonna no, do it again, man. but this time it's gonna be better than ever. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about flow. Let's right. talk about how um, interesting of a guest that was and what how a great much story. we appreciate. What a great story, man. I mean, when you, yeah. when you read those uh, adventure tales and books or any movies that you watch, it, it always has to do with that. I mean, the ones that started with nothing, worked their way up, climbed their way through the, you know, even with him, immigrant coming what over. A great story arc. Yeah, the arc, right? It's just, uh, it's just fantastic, man. And then joining the service, serving this, this country that his parents brought him to and earning our highest medal of honor. I mean, that's for, for valor. It's pretty, Pretty amazing oh, tale. It, it goes without saying how just impressive that is. But um, so, what stuck? What stood out to you? But I, you know, his points of uh, his pearls of wisdom at the end of that. That's kind of one of my favorite segments, man. Is when everybody wraps that up and drops that. You know, find a positive, everything. Mm-hmm. Humble yourself before everything, and and never take anything for granted. That's that's the. Uh, those are those yeah. Are in every situation, also in every situation, try to find the positive, which yeah. sounds so obvious, but. You know how difficult that can be sometimes. Sure, I, you know what I mean. It's designed that way. You know, sometimes we forget the the world that we occupy and it's fast pace and and what we're doing. Get in the best we can. So, um, you know what else? When he was talking about yeah. the uh, the what was that guy's name in Ranger School? His mentor, Gallardo. Gallardo, right? And we all have one of those. It's like the guy. The, man, that's the guy. Uh, guys like that, I hate being in the military. <laughs> right? And then it's like, man, guys like that are the reason I joined the military. I mean that. That line at range 15 was epic when they dropped yeah. that because it's true. I remember the character that Gene Vanderham? <laughs> yeah, man. We all have those. That's I, the image I've got for Gallardo <laughs> in my head. perfect. That's like our generation of Rambo. Gen X is Rambo. <laughs> is that guy right there, man? And he, yeah, man, he causes a lot of chaos and, and he's, it's crazy to look at him, but he, he gets the job done, right? It's, it's just the power of mentors, though. And it also is. for Travis Mills. Travis Mills, a former guest of ours, great guy. If you haven't listened to that show, go back and mm. check it out. It's absolutely worth your time. You're going you're gonna to take a lot away from it. But he comes back in this story here and his influence with Flo. Um, and I think that's part of where he started talking about uh, it, back to the finding the positive in every situation and how his influence allowed Flo to eventually you know, realize the positive of being able to discover the privilege that he had to honor those that were lost um, that day and um, carry their memory forward. Absolutely. You know? So thank you so much for, for sitting down with us, uh, Flo. Maybe we'll get to do it again sometime. Let's, um, let's do some housekeeping and then do a listener story. What do you say? You got it, brother. Sounds good. All right. How to listen. You can stream us directly from our website at tnqpodcast.com and virtually any other podcast app, whether it's on an iPhone or an Android. iTunes, Stitcher, Podacy, CastBox, and Radio Public is where you can find us. 
All right. And for social media, you can start out by checking this out at Team Never Quit on really any of the major social media outlets. If uh, on on Instagram, we have uh, the TNQ podcast for Marcus. It is Marcus Latrell, And for myself, you can find me the underscore wizard underscore TNQ. Or just simply type in tnqpodcast.com and you can listen directly to all of our current and past episodes. We have everyone from David Goggins, Goggins, Mike Rowe, Missy Franklin, Dakota Meyer, Mark Wahlberg, love you, brother, and Mr. Excuse me, Sir Sir Robert Young Pelton. Robert Young Pelton. Mr. Charlie Plum, Laird Hamilton, all the way to Andre Agassi and everybody in between. It truly has been a blessing to, uh, to host this show and all the people who come on it. As far as merchandise, we have everything from hats to shirts. But our favorite... And probably the best thing about the uh, the website is the uh, listener write-in stories. One of our favorite elements of the show are those who write in and tell their personal never-quit stories to us and all of our listeners, and we truly thank you for doing that. Please keep keep writing in, man. It's uh, it's just like a book of motivational experiences, one page after the other. And uh, you can find Absolutely. those at Submit Your Own Story under the menu tab at Share Your Story. That's it. We got one right now, um, one that I think dovetails particularly well with with Groberg's story. This is from Luca, who is uh, also an immigrant to this country. He writes saying, I want to start off by thanking you all for everything you've done, both in your military career as well as outside of it. You have truly helped me to wake up to my true self and passion. My story starts as a child, too young. I moved to the good old U.S. of A. from Romania in 2006 when I was seven years old. Living in Chicago was no easy, to, no easy task, surrounded by bad influences. When I was 12 or 13, I was pressured into doing the cool thing and taking pills. I started my long road of struggle, depression, and addiction to Xanax at that time. This plagued me until the 4th of July of this year, but more on that later. My addiction developed more and more on a weekly basis, until I was no longer myself and had no more morale, energy, or will to survive and thrive any longer. My lowest point was that as an 18-year-old, I was slipping from reality my body was taking the toll. I sustained many injuries due to carelessness, including seizures, almost severing my thumb, six fractures below the ankle on my left foot, as well as a broken arm. I had no burning fire left inside me at that point, and I slipped into a a depressive state beyond belief. I did not pay attention to the world, and the world paid no attention to me. On the 4th of July, 2018, I had a realization. What in the world am I doing? I'm in the greatest country on the planet, and I'm throwing away my opportunities in life. I decided to take my American strength, yes, American, not Romanian or anything else, and reignite the burning fire that I had once burning inside of me. I quit the pills, and the following months were the toughest of my life. The never quit mindset is the only thing that kept me alive and pushed me to thrive. I always did well in school, and I went from a loser to a passionate young man with a very sharp mind applying at Purdue University in aerospace engineering. I got in, and in fact, I'm currently writing this for my dorm room. I listen to your podcast daily to motivate me and keep up the fire. I'm truly living the American dream now. And I thank God every day for being able to live in this country, being protected by the strongest, most courageous men and women on this planet, our military. Thank you for your movement. And thank you for the guidance that you've given me, even without knowing who I am. I'm applying to multiple internships regarding the defense of our great country, and I will not quit until I achieve my dream. I love that. These stories, they just, they, they hit in ways that the, you know, our, our main interview guests sometimes don't. They're coming from everyday people, 
Just like that's you all and we are. Marcus Everyday is. people, <laughs> do you get elected into a position where you're where you're more than that? But up to that point, and you, it is that's that's an American story tale, and that's that's why so many people mm-hmm. gravitate towards this place. It's a melting pot of everybody. It's the one place you can come in and create your own American tale, just like he did. Flow. I mean, all them guys, man. It's just it's all us. I mean. It's the coolest thing. I, you know, when they write our the history of the Americas one day, man, they they better focus on each and every individual that lives here and who's come here to help make this place better because it, it truly is something. Absolutely, Marcus. And um, again, Luca, thank you for writing that. Uh, stay on the path. We know that you're um, you're going to rise to great things. Great show, brother. Good job, man. Everybody, thank you so much for bringing us back and allowing us to bring these guys on and tell their story. We definitely couldn't do it without y'all, man. So we want to thank God. We want to thank Christ for everything that we have and our families for letting us do this. And to you guys again for bringing us back. We're out. Out.